All right, folks, <clears throat> let's talk a bit about what's happening with the NIH and these secret payments. Because, you know, the NIH right now is one of these organizations that, well, Fauci, again, being part of this, was recommending vaccines, was creating some of the mandates, recommending the policies to Trump, now recommending them to Biden. A lot of this goes back to him. And when you have someone who's, of course, making recommendations and mandates, forcing things on people, ironically, while they're talking about body autonomy and stuff like this, forcing people to put things in their body that they don't want in their body, uh, you know, really, we have to make sure that he's doing this out of legitimate medical knowledge and not out of special interest, not because he got paid under the table or, you know, because of something else. If you're going to be trusting someone with your health to that extent, you want to make sure that it's trustworthy. You want to make sure they're not, you know, taking taking bribes from the guy in like China or something like that, right? Well, the acting NIH director, according to Epic Times, is admitting now the appearance of a conflict of interest in secret royalty payments to Fauci and other scientists. Meaning a lot of these policies now, this, this is like, you know, fruit of the poison tree. This is like poisoning the well where all these policies sprang from. This is, again, a conflict of interest, very likely, even admitted now by the acting NIH director, uh, that, again, may have affected the mandates and policies that many of us have been forced to live with for the past three-ish years. It says this, undisclosed royalty payments estimated at $350 million from pharmaceutical and other firms to Dr. Anthony Fauci and hundreds of National Institutes of Health NIH scientists do represent an appearance of a conflict of interest. According to the agency's acting director, Dr. Lawrence Tabak, who took over as NIH director following the December 2021 resignation of the agency's longtime leader, Dr. Francis Collins, and he told this to a House Appropriations Committee subcommittee that federal law allows the royalty payments, but he, con he, con uh, he conceded that they do not look ethical. Now, if you were talking about this in legal terms, this would be what they call fruit of the poisoned tree, meaning that anything that emerged from that tree cannot be used. Uh, if, for example, the FBI or police commit an illegal act during an investigation, any result from that investigation cannot be used because, it's, again, it's called fruit of the poison tree. The whole thing can get thrown out. Now, does that apply as well to the medical establishment where, again, they have a conflict of interest? They may have done something illegitimate. They're suggesting that there may not be. But again, he's, he is suggesting there is the appearance of a conflict of interest. Does this affect all of the policies that have come from these individuals taking these underhanded secret payments? Well, I'd say this warrants serious investigation and not just from the NIH investigating itself. Now, it says this, that the founder and president of Open the Books told the Epic Times on May 11th that NIH continues to withhold important information about the royalty payments, including the names of particular payers and the specific amounts paid to individuals at NIH. So, in other words, the NIH is, again, admitting that there is the appearance of a conflict of interest, but the NIH is the one conducting the investigation, and the NIH is refusing to reveal information about the royalty payments, including the names of who received them, other than Fauci and a few others, and also who was paying them, and also the amounts of money paid. 
a lot of details that we need to get, frankly, because these individuals are the ones making these policies that are forcing us to put things in our bodies that we may not want in our bodies. And frankly, we've seen based on these FDA documents now that the vaccine was not nearly as effective as they claimed it was. And in fact, it was at 12 or 13% effectiveness, dropping down to like 1% over, the, over a few months. I mean, it's ridiculous. And then if you look at the actual dangers of it, well, it's pretty significant as well. You might remember on the show, we showed previously, you know, videos from their actual conferences, FDA, CDC, and otherwise, where you didn't have individuals talking about this, saying the vaccine is killing more people than it's saving. This was their own uh, YouTube channel. You might remember we actually showed it to you on, on Crossroads. And these individuals making these policies, despite the data, despite the scientific data that would inform these decisions, again, having secret payments being made to them, which the organizations which are admitting something is wrong are refusing to reveal. Now, this does warrant, I think, some serious investigation. And again, not from the individuals who, well, may have been incriminated through this. Don't let the criminals investigate themselves. And of course, we don't know if they're criminals yet, but frankly, that's why you need an investigation when something unethical does happen, right? People are usually not, uh, not too willing to incriminate themselves. And in fact, the Constitution protects them from doing so. You want to plead the fifth, for example. Now, on this note, too, let me show you some other information on this, because Epic Times had another story getting a bit more information detailing these secret payments. Because again, while they're not revealing everything, there's actually a bit, there's quite a bit known publicly, which we can talk about. Epic Times reports this nonprofit watchdog uncovers $350 million in secret payments to Fauci, Collins, and others at NIH. Remember, Collins actually stepped down. And a lot of people suspected he stepped down because maybe some incriminating information might be revealed about what was happening behind the scenes. Uh, mostly people were looking at the underhanded deals that NIH had with Chinese virus laboratories including the Wuhan Institute of Virology and including things like gain-of-function research, one of the main suspects in terms of research that may have given us COVID-19 and at the very least would have been illegal for them to be doing, in the United States at least, and they lied under oath about it as well. It says this, an estimated $350 million in undisclosed royalties were paid to the National Institutes of Health, NIH, and hundreds of its scientists including the agency's recently departed director, Dr. Francis Collins, and Dr. Anthony Fauci, according to a nonprofit government watchdog, saying this, this is again the CEO of Open the Books, we estimate that up to $350 million in royalties from third parties were paid to NIH scientists during the fiscal year between 2010 and 2020. We draw that conclusion because in the first five years, there has been $134 million that we have been able to quantify of top line numbers that flowed from third party pay payers, meaning pharmaceutical companies or other payers, pharmaceutical companies like the ones pay again, the ones doing these vaccines that these individuals are approving for everybody, right? To NIH scientists. And again, they're now admitting this does look like a conflict of interest, conflict of interest, possibly in the mandates being forced on every one of us in some way or the, or the other. And again, causing serious complications possibly for infants going forward uh, that may have killed many infants or pregnant mothers and frankly have caused a lot of other health problems 
while again representing a much, much lower threshold of protection than they were telling people it, it would give them. And maybe again, some conflict of interest, maybe some underhanded deals had something to do with that getting approved and then making these surface statements while trying to get 75 years before they showed you the truth. It says this, we now know that there are 1,675 scientists that received payments during that period, at least one payment. In other words, of those scientists, the 1,675 received at least one payment. Some received more. In fiscal year 2014, for instance, a while back, $36 million was paid out, and that was an, on average $21,100 per scientist. We all yeah, trust the science, right, folks? What happens in the science is no longer trustworthy because they're taking underhanded deals. We also find that during this period, leadership at NIH was involved in receiving third-party payments. For instance, Francis Collins, the immediate past director of NIH, received 14 payments. Dr. Anthony Fauci received 23 payments. And his deputy, Clifford Lane, received eight payments, all of which should get investigated frankly. Now, again, the world needs to know who made these payments, what the context of those payments was, and the NIH, again, they're not going to, under the Constitution, you don't have to do anything that would incriminate you, right? That's pleading the fifth, and people should not even be expected to investigate themselves, uh, let alone the fact that such investigations do not be trustworthy. The, F the NIH right now is admitting that it does, it does seem to be the appearance of a conflict of interest. They are not capable of investigating that there should be an investigation, especially an investigation into how this may or may not have affected, again, the policies on vaccines these individuals are forcing on Americans. Also, as well, the Chinese Communist Party's agenda with this type of research is becoming a lot more clear. Uh, one of the big questions is whether, as well, some of these policies, some of the people making these payments, we don't know who they were. Was this coming from China? Was any of this coming from China? And we do know these individuals had many deals in China, again, with the Chinese Communist Party, for example, on gain-of-function research and other types of research that themselves should also be investigated. Uh, were they also receiving payments from that? This needs to be looked into. And related to that as well, just emphasizing why this should be looked into, it's because the Chinese Communist Party has made clear its intentions with these types of vaccines, with these types of policies, with these types of viruses. The NIH is helping the Chinese Communist Party develop these, including using humanized mice uh, made from aborted fetal tissues, including by their own admission, severed heads of infants and so on, sickening documents uh, that were made public. Again, you've heard about the humanized mice. They were using these laboratories where they had mice with humanized lungs so they could create viruses that could infect human lungs, NIH helping this with China. Why would the Chinese Communist Party want to create viruses that could affect human lungs? Why would they be taking existing viruses and making them more deadly? Why was the NIH involved with that research? Well, Part of the NIH should be investigated, but we get an idea of what the Chinese Communist Party may have been wanted with that. And let me show you this. This is Daily Mail. China was preparing for a third world war with biological weapons, including coronaviruses, six years ago, three years before COVID-19. According to dossier produced by the People's Liberation Army, it's the Chinese military, 
in 2015 and uncovered by the U.S. State Department. Funny enough, right around the same time that NIH was doing these types of vaccine research policies with this laboratory in China that had ties to the People's Liberation Army, the Chinese military, the same one that said they wanted to prepare for a World War III using biological weapons, including coronaviruses, such as the coronaviruses they were developing through the help of the NIH. Let me read you some of this article. I'll go over a bit of this. It says, Chinese scientists have been preparing for a third world war fought with biological and genetic weapons, including coronavirus for the last six years. Again, three years prior to COVID-19 and developing possibly leading up to that. According to a document obtained by U.S. investigators, the bombshell paper accessed by the U.S. State Department insists they will be the core weapons for victory, biological weapons that is, will be the core weapons for victory in such a conflict, even outlining the perfect conditions to release a bioweapon and documenting the impact it would have on the enemy's medical system, like what we're facing right now in the United States. Further down, it says the dossier by the People's Liberation Army, uh, scientists and health officials, details of which were reported by the Australian, examined the manipulation of diseases to make weapons in a way never seen before like maybe using humanized mice and taking coronaviruses and altering them through gain-of-function research to be able to infect humanized lungs, possibly, hypothetically, for example. Further in, it says this, the authors of the documents insist that a third world war will be biological. The Chinese Communist Party was saying the third world war will be biological, unlike the first two wars, which were described as chemical and nuclear, respectively. In other words, the First World War was a chemical war. Second World War turned into a nuclear war. Third World War, they were saying, would be a biological war. Referencing research, which, which suggested the two atomic bombs dropped on Japan forced them to surrender and bring about the end of World War, World war II, they claim bioweapons will be the core weapon for victory in a Third World War. Uh, using research, again, possibly that the NIH was helping them with. And the NIH was receiving, again, secret funding from sources they were refusing to, they were refusing to disclose as they were doing this type of research with the Chinese Communist Party in laboratories involved with the Chinese military. Again, this warrants serious investigation, the likes of which I, I'm limited with. We've, we've done as much as we could. Well, we've done quite a bit. There's more to be looked into still. Um, we actually do detail a lot of this in the documentary I did previously investigating the Wuhan coronavirus released soon after the virus uh, was, start, was starting to spread. If you haven't watched it, I do recommend watching it because even though Facebook blocked it saying it was fake news and such like that, everything in it's now been proven true. You know, we have not had to, we not have, we have not had to issue any corrections on that. Everything reported has since been shown to be true. And frankly, the people who fact check us should be issuing corrections, even though I haven't seen them doing so, because everything they reported has shown to be false, frankly. Now, let's go over a bit more, then let's jump into some questions. I want to talk real quick about the FBI while well, investigating journalists, targeting journalists. You know, Project Veritas has been doing a lot of uh, different videos on this. They recently got a whistleblower to step forward. Remember that Project Veritas had gotten its hands on a diary belonging to the daughter of Joe Biden, president of the United States currently, kind of. 
Um, basically, this diary, they tried giving it back. Uh, they, they couldn't verify it. So Project Veritas would not report on it. They, they couldn't verify its context. So what they did was they tried returning it to the Biden family, going through their lawyers. The lawyers refused to take it. They were unable to return it to the alleged owners. They then went to the police, tried to return it to the police. The police refused to accept it. Then what happens? The Biden administration has pre-dawn raids on Project Veritas and its journalists, steals computers, raids their homes, you know, takes away their stuff, and possibly exposes their sources, possibly exposes, exposes a lot of their under, ongoing investigations, and does things that even a lot of the civil rights organizations that tend to be very far left have actually been even criticizing in terms of criticizing the Biden administration for doing this. Now, Project Veritas has gotten whistleblowers to step forward. One of these now is an FBI whistleblower. Let me show you this on Twitter. This is Matthew Tierman from Project Veritas, and he's saying this, breaking FBI whistleblower leaks docs, documents, showing Bureau, the FBI, targeting news media under sensitive investigative matters, alleges political undertakings, and reveals vast, reveals vast majority of FBI agents troubled by the direction the agency is going. And if people are troubled by it, maybe more will step forward. Let me show you this video real quick. And folks, we'll go over a bit more, then we'll jump into some uh, questions. Let me show you the video from Project Veritas on this. So you've been a special agent for a number of years. Correct. Special agent with the FBI. That's correct. And you're still being paid for that role. Yes. There's a number of very troubling things that are happening within the FBI. What brought you to Project Veritas? Project Veritas appears to be a victim of political undertakings, which is where this, this agency has gone. You came across some information. The file that you're talking about is background on the, the Project Veritas investigation the, the, that resulted in the search warrant at your premises. We don't see a lot of investigations into news organizations. It's not common to see a criminal investigation, particularly one categorized the way that this is, is alerting. And it's surprising based on the public information that is provided. So SIM is a classification that means it's a sensitive investigative matter. Because it's sensitive, it could be a political figure, it could be uh, a news media organization. Who makes the classification that we're news media? It would usually be identified as by the case agents who are working it. And it's also done in conjunction with the chief division counsel of that field office who's going to be the top internal lawyer. That title would normally be the name of the subject, the name of the victim, the name of the type of crime that is being alleged if, you know, if these things exist. In this case, it's restricted because uh, even the name of the subject would indicate the nature of what was going on. CAST is an internal program in the FBI that uses sophisticated techniques to exploit cell phone data for location and for content. Going down to Sentinel tags. This was chosen by the people who opened up this case. They had to specifically list the threat tags that they wanted to identify. The intelligence investigation is meant for information. That doesn't require that you've done anything wrong. The dialogue, that's the governing dynamic for the FBI. One paragraph justification for spying on anyone? It's one of the few parts of the entire public document that you see that will be redacted. It's truly an incredible amount of power if used wrong. But what do you hope comes from your endeavor to be here and, and say all this? I would hope that we could end up with a nonpartisan law enforcement agency in this country that's not doing things that seem to be inappropriate. Just you doing the job that you're told following those orders is to maintain your paycheck and your pension that gives you the Holocaust. So then you end up with somebody who's willing to do something that maybe compromises their ethics. 
And there you have it, folks. Project Veritas, the FBI is investigating them, has these secret investigations. Even FBI agents, according to this whistleblower, are troubled by the type of research or the type of investigation being done into journalists. Now, again, this is journalists who tried to do the right thing, who tried returning this document both to the police and to a lawyer of the family, They both of whom refused and then were subject to raids and so on. Uh, that may have gotten a lot of their different research, including videos. Uh, real troubling development. Now, of course, this happening to one organization is one thing. Remember as well, this is typically how you see things like this progress. People, policies like this tend to roll out over a period of time. We saw, for example, what happened when people started, started getting kicked off of Twitter, kicked off of social media. Infowars was one of the first media organizations to get kicked off. And of course, you know, people have different views on them. And so people were like, oh, well, you know, maybe maybe they would kick them off. Why not? Then they went after other websites. They went after Zero Hedge. They, they of course, deleted the channels of, um, you know, New York Post going after them. i sorry, temporarily banned it over talking about the Biden, the Hunter Biden emails and so on. These things tend to cascade. It's one step at a time. And it goes out, it starts on things that people may see some justification for sometimes and then gets worse and worse and worse. And I'd say Project Veritas getting targeted by this is pretty deep down that cascade now because as now this has gone from people being kicked off of Twitter or, you know, being called what names online or something like that or being deplatformed by social media or having their websites deplatformed entirely like what happened, like what happened to Parler to actually being criminally investigated by the FBI for something they actually tried to return doing normal reporting. Now, this is, of course, a two-tier justice system. Lady Justice no longer wears her blindfold, it seems, because we see the other side of this, where justices right now, United States justices of the Supreme Court, are facing death threats, are facing protests outside their homes, of which actually violate the law. The government right now has made, has made it clear that they do not intend to stop any of this, even though it is in violation of law, even though this is threats being made to justices with the intention of making them reverse their policies, uh, reverse their pre, you know, pre-judgment about Roe versus Wade. Illegal activities taking being taking place right now. But remember the catalyst for all this, which was Politico getting a leaked document of, you know, again, the early opinions from the justices suggesting they may overturn Roe versus Wade. That leak is not being investigated in the same way that the Project Veritas leak is. Project Veritas receiving this diary is not being investigated the same way as Politico receiving that opinion from the Justice Department. And guess what? The you know the the investigation from sorry the case of Project Veritas receiving these did not lead to death threats as far as I know against the president. And frankly, they probably target them for that. The leak from Politico has caused death threats to justices, which is threatening one of the three branches of our government. Again, two-tiered justice system. The other side of this, though, as well as this actually limited just to Project Veritas. Let me show you one last thing. We'll jump into questions. Folks, this is Breitbart. This is on Twitter right now. Cheryl Atkinson, really not a, a, fair, a pretty fair journalist. She's a very well-respected investigative journalist by people both on the right and the left. Um, she's really not partisan as far as I'm concerned. Although she has been writing about things in a way that suggests she's concerned about the way the country's been going. Cheryl Atkinson, an investigative journalist, is saying 
that the FBI intended to plant child pornography on her husband's computer with the intention, again, of incriminating them in something they did not do. Let me show you this video, then we'll jump into some questions. It sucks being set up by the government and surveilled by the government. And sometimes it takes far too long to be able to clear those matters up. May, may I you say may, um, may, one little reported facet of my case is one of the federal agents involved in, in one of the operations against me said that they intended to plant child porn in my husband's computer. This is the FBI. There's been a case um, that's currently in litigation unrelated in which an FBI agent has testified that they did that. They have done that. It was not accomplished in my case. I guess the, the curtain was drawn on that facet of the operation prior to them doing it. But imagine how you ever get out of that. How you, they, they knew we had a young daughter at home and had allegedly conspired to do that. Folks, it's not limited to Project Veritas. It's not limited to other sites. It's not limited to parents going to uh, these conf you know, parent-teacher conferences, possibly being investigated as terrorists, these school board meetings possibly being investigated as terrorists. It's also fairly nonpartisan journalists, investigative, investigative journalists like Cheryl Atkinson, being threatened not just with investigations, but with false incrimination by the FBI planting false evidence on the computer of her husband, something very serious. I mean, planting child pornography. It's next level sick, in my opinion. Uh, but again, this is this is really exposing, and really in terms of what we've been seeing, including with uh, January 6, including with some of the other forms of entrapment we've been watching with the FBI, suggesting that something's wrong with these agencies. There's some real serious investigation being uh, need needing to be done to the investigators themselves at this point. Anyways, folks, serious stuff. Let's jump into some questions. First of all, from What's Up You, you said, why is there a shortage in the first place? Uh, What's Up You, you're talking about, I believe, the baby formula. Yeah, well, like, I won't detail it all again. We were talking about, of course, that the, again, there was a bacterial infection suspected at one of the facilities. They shut it down. FBF, the FDA is saying they're going to do investigation. We don't know whether that's a real uh, bacterial infection, whether that was a false report. Maybe it was foul play in terms of just issuing a false report. They've shut it down because of the choke point. It caused a shortage across the whole market. And then you have the Biden administration taking the you know remaining supply and shipping into these border facilities to give to illegal immigrants while Americans can't get it themselves. Uh, Catherine M., you're saying it begs the question, why is only one plant making baby formula? Well, Again, classic Austrian school of economics right there. Uh, one plant is manufacturing baby formula because of state interventionist policies that have restricted the market in such a way that should not be restricted. Again, one of the problems you saw, and funny enough, one of the problems you saw under Nazi Germany, uh, where the government actually had policies like this. You know, the way that they worked was this kind of cooperation where the government was using businesses as one of its tools for tyranny. Rather than full, full blown, you know, communism. And let me be clear, be clear on the labels with this. Socialism is the system communism takes when put when put into practice. Communism would technically be like the guiding ideology because communism works through the abolition of systems and so on. Any kind of communist government would take the form of socialism. Many different types of socialism. 
um, Bolshevism, Nazism, fascism, religious, so there's Christian socialism, military socialism, there's syndicalism, which would be through like unions. There's all kinds of different forms of socialism, um, all kinds of different kinds. The kind the fascists had was actually similar to what we're dealing with right now, uh, which is where you had businesses basically working hand in hand with government, you know, essentially the, the, corp the corporate reforms in the United States opened the doors to a lot of this right here in the US. And so you have issues like this mimic mirroring a lot of the problems Nazi Germany had funny enough uh, in terms of their economy happening right now as we see it with the baby food crisis. Zach Walton is asking, uh, you want to read, a, you want to watch a good video explaining this? I highly recommend Ludwig von, uh, Ludwig von Mises uh, Planned Chaos. Um, I believe it's in his book, Socialism, a chapter in it, but you can find a really good audiobook of that. Uh, read. It's only about an hour long on YouTube. Again, it's called Planned Chaos, and it details a lot of what the of what Nazi Germany went through. Funny enough, on the same oh, sick humor. Funny enough, on the same policy we're seeing right here uh, with these FDA policies on uh, infant formula right here in the United States. You'd think they'd learn, folks. It, it's repeating the same problem over and over again, and not learning from it, and then continuing to commit these. You know atrocities against people despite the fact that they should have learned from experience this is from melina said what do you believe are the likely consequences of the vaccine from a macro perspective 10 years down the road well it depends one way or the other whether we're shown the information we should be shown on how dangerous or safe these vaccines are and frankly we're getting shown now documents demonstrating that while these vaccines are not one basically non-effective and two pretty seriously dangerous to many people um, as many people are even noting even even bill gates coming out admitting for example that the vaccines are not really that effective against the omicron variant pfizer document and keep in mind he that's not saying he wants to back off from this he still wants to mandate things and so on they just want to make new vaccines even the even again going by the fact that the previous thing didn't work you have individuals at the NI at the NIH talking about this, like Dr. Fauci and so on, uh, admitting, for example, that the pandemic is essentially over, but they, but they want to keep things in place, it seems, indefinitely, uh, including the vaccine mandates. You have documents right now from the Pfizer approval process through the FDA getting released, things they wanted to wait, again, 75 years to be able to show you. Meaning, you know, I'd, I'd be well over 100 by the time I could go over these documents with you if they got their way. You know, maybe, maybe when I'm over 100 years old, we could do this show and, uh, you know, I'd, I'd be able to show you what actually took place way back in 2020 and 2022 and so on. Uh, luckily, that has changed and they don't have that long to release them. And so we will be getting these documents. And frankly, the early documents are showing that there's serious, serious foul play very likely involved with this. That you've been sold essentially what is just, you know, and I mean, th these guys are like snake oil salesmen, basically. They were selling you something that doesn't work. Their, cl their clinical trials show that it's basically non-functional. It has a very low functioning rate, like 18-ish percent during the first three months and then drops to about 1%-ish after that, uh, which is why they started saying you need to get boosters every six months or whatever. Again, because they witnessed the fact that the, vi the vaccines become basically non-functional after a short period of time. 
there's other documents now coming out, other studies now coming out, suggesting that people may be more susceptible to future, future variants if they've been vaccinated. And what's the solution to that? Well, more vaccinations. You know, you become reliant essentially on this vaccine, you know, for-profit system they've created. And in addition to that as well, they were restricting information that showed the real dangers this posed, including, for example, to women who were pregnant, including to many other people, including to women breastfeeding their infants. And, you know, what did they do? They gave themselves legal immunity so they could basically carry out what, what may be an atrocity. I think after all this, that maybe in 10 years, may hopefully sooner, they should be investigated for democide when a government through its policies kills its own civilians. Now, remember, any kind of government action can be deemed legal through government policy. They, governments can say, hey, I'm going to create this policy. I control the levers of what's legal and what's illegal. Let's make this legal this, this week. And hey, we're going to do it. History does not always recognize it like that. Under Mao Zedong, for example, in the Chinese Communist Party, when they had the Great Famines, again, Mao's estimated to, kill, to have killed between 70 and 100 million people. Some say even higher. We don't even know the full numbers. Policies, for example, like during the Great Leap Forward, they had what they called sparrow warfare, where they were mandating people to go to the fields, and they were saying sparrows are eating up the grains and killing off all the crops. What do they do? They launched sparrow warfare, where they killed all the sparrows. What happens when you kill all the sparrows? The sparrows don't eat the bugs that eat the crops. And so what happened? You had huge you know, pestilence, bugs eating all the crops, in addition to many other problems caused by bad policy that caused mass death. Tens of millions of people died. That was legal under Mao Zedong, but is now recognized as having been a democide where the government kills its own people in mass. Hitler's gas chambers were a government policy, right? Concentration camps were a government policy, legal under the Nazi regime, deemed heavily illegal by the international community once they found it out. And people hung for that. People were hung from the gallows for that. There needs to, once the smoke clears, be a real investigation into what may be a democide through policy in the United States, not just through COVID-19, but through this whole crisis we've been facing. Because again, just because the government gives themselves a legal ability to do things, if that legal ability to do things leads to mass death, well, they should face consequences for it. And the world should, I think, have its you know moment where they put it on trial. This should go on trial eventually. Uh, next question here. This is from JN, uh, JNI Torres. He said, how can you trust CDC again? What we need is a complete revamp. And I fully agree. I, I do think this is one of the, consider, call it fortunate or unfortunate states we're in right now as a country. I would say public trust in the institutions are at an all-time low. And I, I can explain kind of my different views on this because I don't, I have mixed views. On one side, I would say it's a good thing. People should know when there's when there's corruption in the agencies they should know when the people telling you something are taking underhanded deals that are, you know, poisoning their their assessments essentially. When special interest, secret deals, secret programs uh, are making it so that you can't trust, frankly, what they're saying on the surface, where bad decisions have put people out of work, caused people to die from health complications, have restricted medical treatments that could have saved people's lives. Uh, that restricted medications like hydroxychloroquine, that restricted things like monoclonal antibody treatments that could have saved lives. 
these kinds of things have wrecked the credibility of these institutions, I would say, in the minds of many Americans. Not to mention when you talk about the FBI and the intelligence agencies, not just in terms of what they're doing now against journalists like Cheryl Atkinson suggest, saying that they were planning to put, plant child pornography in a husband's computer in an attempt to, again, you know, falsely accuse them of a serious crime. Uh, but also things like January 6th, also things like the Trump-Russia scandal where the heads of all of our intelligence agencies and the former, almost the entire former leadership was writing public letters trying to get behind what was a state funded through the Obama, sorry, through the Democratic Party and the Clinton campaign at a time when Obama was still president, meaning his party, uh, was falsifying information to target a sitting president, well, a candidate, then a sitting president, when our systems of law were weaponized. The entire institution, I think, across different agencies has been significantly damaged. On one side, I would say this is good. People should recognize when wrongdoing has been done. This absolutely needs to be exposed. Absolutely, people should recognize this. And, you know, there needs to be some kind of reconciliation at some point. People need to go on trial. People need to go to jail. People need to face consequences for the actions if something was done. Until that happens, people are no longer, they're no longer going to trust the institutions. And same thing with the elections right now. Uh, about a you know widespread election fraud, ballots, ballot harvesting, ballot stuffing, and laws created by you know government officials across the United States that created universal mail-in ballots that eliminated different chains of custody that would ensure that things like this didn't happen, allowing for mass fraud to take place on a scale that allowed the president's you know seat to be stolen by someone. The trust in our institutions is at an all-time low, and that trust is not going to be restored until people can see two things. People, people going on trial, people being prosecuted if a, if a crime was in fact committed. They need, to, they need to see a real trustworthy trial where this is again prosecuted, put on trial, people can see it. And also there needs to be refor uh, reforms made in every area where something bad happened to the extent that the public can be reassured that order and again, things are functioning as they're meant to once again. Until that happens, trust will not be restored and that's a very dangerous place for this country to be in. Which leads me to the other, the other side of this. Right, the other side of this. And, and let me talk a little briefly before I go to the other side. I know a lot of people are talking about, for example, you know, child abuse rings and stuff like this. There's a great book I recommend everybody read. It was it's called the um, the Franklin Cover Up. Uh, the Franklin Cover Up was looking into Boys Town, USA, which is where you know there were allegations of serious child abuse taking place. The book was actually written, I think, by a former senator, a late senator. It's kind of hard to get these days. They did do a documentary on it, which was called Conspiracy of Silence, which PBS was set to show, which they never showed because somebody had it canceled and then bought all available copies and never released it. You can actually watch it on YouTube last I checked. But there was something interesting in the book, Conspiracy of, uh, sorry, documentary is Conspiracy of Silence on Boys Town USA. The book was called um, uh, The Franklin Cover-Up. Highly recommended reading, but there was something interesting in it where the individual launching the investigation, actually I believe it was a former senator who did the investigation, um, was told by a high-ranking intelligence officer that essentially there's a reason why these things are not made public, which is there are certain things which once they're exposed, you pull it out and the whole system collapses. And so for the sake of maintaining the system, 
uh, they choose to not expose certain crimes. That is the reason given in that in the book to the senator. And I would say that's also where we're at as a nation. Unfortunately, crimes have been exposed to such an extent. Corruption has been exposed to such an extent that public trust in the entire system has essentially fallen to pieces. Uh, we're in uncharted territory right now, I'd say. But how do you restore it once it's like this, frankly? Which goes to the other side of how I see things, which is, you know, when you're dealing with the Chinese Communist Party and the former Soviet Union, you know, they... The Chinese Communist Party was working hand in hand with the former Soviet Union. The former Soviet Union, if you read Perestroika Deception, these books, they never fully ended it technically. You know, they, they gave the illusion of reform while maintaining a lot of their same systems, you know, Putin himself being a head intelligence agent with that, right? They had something called ideological subversion, uh, which again, I mentioned Yuri Bezmenov several times, and also uh, you know, he did he did a book as well under the pseudonym Thomas Schulman. Uh, called Love Letter to America. One of the cornerstones of ideological subversion is demoralization. Uh, you, to make people lose trust in the institutions, to make institutions no longer function as they're meant to. If you were to ask me about these things, I would say the problems that the United States and many countries are now facing are the product of intentional subversion going back a very long time. You can read Trevor Loudon's Enemies Within. Uh, you can read these many books on this. I have a whole shelf. I actually have a whole bookshelf off camera covered with these books. You know, the issues we're now facing have been brewing for a very long time. We can talk about the 1960s and people who were loyal to the Soviet Union at that time who were doing these types of operations. We could talk about Maoist movements tied to organizations that led to things like BLM and direct involvement in some of the nonprofits that had a serious hand in, let's say, flipping the vote in several states during the last elections. Uh, you can watch, for example, the interview I did uh, just recently with Trevor Loudon on this in our last episode. These organizations have had the intention, you know, Fabian Society, you know, um, yeah, Fabian society being kind of the, their their symbol is a wolf in sheep's clothing. The idea of infiltrating the institutions and overtaking them from within. When you talk about things like the, um, anyways, a lot of these organizations and movements that have had the intention of overthrowing the United States through the through acts of subversion, leading up now to what the Chinese Communist Party is doing through its United Front Work Department, mirroring the same operations the Soviet Union was doing. The goal of that is to break down the institutions, to demoralize the population, make them no longer trust the institutions, and then once the institutions are broken, to institute a change in leadership, a change in regime. Uh, which is why when you start seeing things like, well, like globalism, most communists, people who've lived under communism, I know a lot of Chinese who say it concerns them deeply because when they hear globalism, they think the communist international. For them, it's the exact same thing. When they hear things, for example, like the you know fourth economic system, like Alexander Dugan under Putin right now, they think the same thing. They think again this collapse of a system, the institute, the institution, uh, the instituting of a new system. When they hear "build back better," they think this as well: the tearing down of a system and the instant you know, instituting a new system. When they hear about you know the Great Reset, they think the same thing. And I'd say that is the concern because that is the goal of subversion to create a state of conflict eventually from which you can institute a new system. And that for me is the other concerning side of all of this, that 
you know, the institutions have been worn down so badly from within uh, that people are demanding a change in system. The question is who will get to decide what that change in system is. And to me, that is almost on probably even more so equal grounds of concern when it comes to uh, the state we're in right now, frankly. Long answer to your question, sorry.